to the Executive Security Podcast, where we talk to CISOs and other leaders in the cybersecurity space about their careers. Our goal in this podcast is to inspire others to join the fight. My name is Gene Fay, and I'm the CEO of API security company ThreadX and the host of the Executive Security Podcast. Today, we're joined by Brian Castagna, who is the CISO of Seven Bridges, a leading biomedical data company. He is an experienced and skilled information security leader. Brian has held security leadership positions at several organizations, including Acquia and Oracle. Hey, thanks for joining us today. I'm very excited to have you as a guest on the Executive Security Podcast. Uh, you come with a wealth of experience and knowledge. And uh, one of the things in my research that I found quite interesting is, uh, unlike a lot of people on our show, you come at it from a pretty different perspective. Uh, you went to college and uh, went into auditing to start your career. Yeah, so I went to Bentley University, and Bentley is focused on accounting in the Boston area. And you know, when I was looking for opportunities, there was this IT audit roles that were just becoming available. And this is in uh, 2003, 2004, and Enron just fell, mm -hmm. and I was hired to be an IT audit analyst at KPMG, where it was the first year of Sarbanes-Oxley 404. Mm -hmm. um, so as you might imagine, it was a bit wild um, with Enron just falling and, you know, really sort of the emergence of IT audit and IT journal controls for public companies. Yeah, it's an interesting time back then. Uh, we're roughly about the same age. So uh, similar experiences uh, with what's going on with Sarbanes-Oxley kind of parallels a lot of what's happened with the whole idea of PII and the ability to have to do foreclosures and kind of what's happened in cybersecurity. So I think it's a, an interesting trajectory. So can you tell us a little bit more about the company and your role and roles and responsibilities? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the Chief Information Security Officer at Seven Bridges. We are a, a biomedical technology company focused on precision medicine, in particular genomics. And what we do is we work with large biopharmas as well as the U.S. federal government and world governments. And we work with them to discover variants in people's genomic data to help treat and cure disease. So primarily focused on oncology for cancer and other rare diseases. You know, my role leading both security our team, as well as risk controls compliance and our IT help desk. Gotcha. Well, it sounds like a really interesting field and sounds like you got a lot of really important information you got to protect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, human genomic data, uh, personal health information, PII, you know, we take it extremely seriously in the program that we've built and in the investments that we've made and the support that I have on our team. Oh, it sounds great. So how did you kind of switch from the auditing side of things and working for one of the big four to eventually getting into cybersecurity and becoming a CISO? So uh, I spent about three years in the big four. It was great experience. You know, I traveled the country um, doing a lot of different audits, whether it was SOX or SAS 70 at the time. I pretty quickly realized that I was going to enjoy smaller companies better and actually went to what was a startup accounting firm at the time called SAS 70 Solutions. And uh, this was started by a couple of ex-Arthur Anderson partners. And for five years, I traveled the country and did SAS 70 audits. And this is pre-cloud, pre-VC money boom, and uh, had the opportunity to see startups really before there was a lot of startups. And I went in, I learned about their environment. I did an audit of their environment and we'd give them a SAS 70 at the end of the month. So you know, after doing that for a period of time, I'm now about eight years of my career, I learned that people really don't like auditors. <laughs> and... <laughs> I said, you know what? There's this new cybersecurity thing that's getting more traction. Maybe I should transition into this. 
for the second half of my career, I've been scaling up security programs at venture-backed technology companies, mostly B2B, mostly SaaS, heavily regulated in the cloud. And it's been a great journey. Wow, that's a really interesting transition. And I think it goes to, uh, as we talk about the audience for our podcast, there's uh, groups of people that are maybe thinking about getting to cybersecurity. And we tend to think about people early in their careers and what that is like to get started. But I think you're you know, making a really interesting point about people that are in their career taking different sets of skill sets and then applying to cybersecurity. It's now continued to evolve. I think about 2017, when I started working early for a, an early stage company in cybersecurity, it was we were winning deals because of compliance and it, it transitioned. And now 17 years later, it's now a massive industry with lots and lots of opportunities. So I think that's a really uh, great point to say that it's never too late to join the fight. There's skill sets that apply that aren't all about hands-on keyboard writing code. So when you look at your success over your career, what are the other you know, maybe softer skills that have allowed you to be successful? Things like you know, I think it's interesting that you've got a, the finance background. A lot of the CISOs talk about the importance of being able to articulate the importance of the cyber budget and how to get that approved. And it's not about the technology. It's probably not about the numbers. So how do you achieve those types of things to be able to be successful and get your budget approved? Yeah, you know, I was fortunate early in my career to be in consulting and audit to build what are now my customer facing skills and to have the opportunity to speak with people and to interact with customers during that. And those skills and those leadership skills that I developed over that time are really, really applied in the types of roles that I've been at. And coming from a business background, right, is different than some cyber backgrounds. I think what we've found more recently is that there is a diverse set of skills and there isn't a a one-size-fits-all CISO set of skills. And you're going to have folks that are more technical. You're going to have folks that are more business-oriented. You're going to have different skills. And that's okay, depending upon the job. You know, I think the one sort of commonality that's very important with any of these roles is being able to understand and relate to the business Mm. and to be doing things for the business. And if you look at what security was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, it's people in conflict. Well, security wants me to do this but I don't want to do that because this is going to hurt the business. And the way that I look at it now is you need to be aligned. You need to be aligned with the executive team, with the board, um, with the people in the organization. And I look at security as a revenue driver. I look at security as an opportunity to grow the business and to do it in a way that we're protecting the data. So what I've learned through my career is that if you can get to a place where you have this alignment you're not just the security director who's screaming and yelling, you know, up, up, hey, wait, I need more people. I need more Nobody budget. Listening. <laughs> no one's listening. listening. Yeah, is, that, is anyone there? <laughs> Help me. <laughs> right. uh, you're part of the business and a part of the team. And in my particular role, I report to the CEO. I'm on the executive team. And we're having business-based conversations about where our security and compliance roadmap is going. Mm-hmm. And that's really made all the difference. And I'll, I'll give you an example in regards to the budget, like you were mentioning. So. When I talk with our CFO, you know what we did on my team is we did an inventory of all the different technology and staffing models that we could have, right? That we could have. And I went to him and I said, look, I am not going to ask you for $15 million. And here are the things that I could be asking you for. I'm only going to ask you for three. And here's why. And these are the priorities. Here are how they tie to the business. 
And I put it in the framework of, oh, well, it's good. He's not asking me for 15. He's only asking me for three. I'm sick and then make him healthy. Exactly. (laughs) So putting it in that business context is critical. Makes sense. And I think that the interesting thing when you talk about where you sit in the organization, that's another one of these big changes that's really relatively recent. If we think back to, again, for the younger listeners, they, they probably gloss over as I talk about the early days of cybersecurity as we do often on this, but I think it's important to understand the history to understand some context as, as people join this industry. And that is a lot of uh, early cyber people were people that just knew how to do antivirus, how to download the antivirus, keep it up to date. And then it was like, okay, they got bumped up, bumped up. But the, the idea that now that it is an executive level position, uh, it's about aligning to the business needs. It's not this adversarial role. It's not the you know, person who always complains they don't have enough money. It's you know, alignment. Those things now are also, you know, I'm sure as a part of your role, you're presenting this information to the board on a quarterly basis, if not more, uh, because it is, it's integrated into what we need to do day in and day out to run a successful business is you need to have a cyber strategy and you need most of us need to have strong cyber leaders to protect the business. Yeah. And, you know, it's a business function and that hasn't always been the case. And, you know, there's an education component with comes with that to explain to people that, you know, being a, a CISO or being a director, you are not all of the security program. You are the leader of that program and you're building out a function. And I was networking the other day and talking with a, a security engineering director about this. And he said, you know what, it, it's kind of like, there used to just be engineers. And now there's front-end engineers and back-end engineers and DevOps engineers and data engineers. You know, It's like that in security where if I'm going and I'm having a conversation with, say, a CFO or a CO about what the function is, well, you need risk and compliance. You need security architecture and engineering. You need folks within IT. There might be specializations that you need depending upon your business or the risk, whether that's pen testing or architecture roles or SecOps roles. So it is a business function, and it's important to consider it like that and uh, and to fund it like that. You talked about at the executive level, kind of diversity of opinions as a way to kind of work through some of the things that you think about. And I'm going to maybe broaden that question to how do we encourage people with diverse backgrounds to enter cyber or put it another way, put the onus on us. How do we as leaders attract people with a diverse background into our organizations and encourage them to be a part of which is a growing, uh, well-paying part of any business, which is cybersecurity? It's a great question. And I've thought about this a lot in my career. And, you know, I'm the type of person that I want to root for the underdog. I feel like in my life, I've been the underdog at times in different places. And yeah, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of really great opportunities, like attending a really good school and things like that. I look for that when I hire and I look for it in different ways in different hiring channels. So whether that's maybe someone with a community college background instead of a four-year degree, whether it's somebody that has the skills that I need or has the aptitude, but might not have been in that role. I'll give a couple examples. You know, I've hired people that have come from Best Buy. You know, we're on the Geek Squad and they were very good at people skills because they had to deal with all the people that were coming in to get their computers fixed. They were very good at the technical skills because they had to fix all the computers. They had the right aptitude and the right skill set. I've hired someone before that was a police officer, and he went back to school for computer information systems and a master's degree. And it was for an internship. And we interviewed a lot of candidates for this internship. Mm. But he came in, and 
I asked him about HIPAA and he memorized portions of the HIPAA security rule mm. for the interview. I said, how did you know that? He's like, well, I memorized it. He wanted that job. It was going to change the trajectory of his career and his life. And we ended up hiring him full time, which was great. You know, once people are on my team, I want a, a coach to promote, you know, diversity in promotions and the different things we're doing. And I've focused on that with folks, whether it's a different cultural background, whether it's a, a different gender, and really get people in a position that they can have the confidence to reach their potential and get promoted. And then, you know, the third thing that I kind of think about when I think about ways to expand diversity is, is in your network. You know, I mean, traditionally, when you think of networking, it's a very undiverse, it's a very closed off sort of way that people have connected. I think the internet, things like Slack and opening up different channels where, you know, you can be part of a Slack channel where there's a very diverse group of people from different geographies, different backgrounds. And I found that that is a way to sort of expand my network in a diverse way. Yeah, no, I think you hit on many great points there. Uh, Brian, just a couple of things that really resonated with me. One is it doesn't all require a bachelor's degree, right? So an associate's degree or a, you know, a veracity of learning on the individual basis, I think is something that people should understand. Like apply, apply for those jobs, put yourself out there and, and you'll be surprised what you could do. We just posted a role for a level one SOC analyst. And we got 2,200 applications. And as we look through those, a very diverse, one of the candidates we hired before this process was from the Geek Squad. So I think that's a really good point for people to think about. Many people talk about just if you've got desire to learn and a curious mind, it makes for a perfect place in cybersecurity because it's such a dynamic side of things. And it it doesn't take necessarily the traditional education uh, to get in there. And the other thing we've talked about a couple of times is people joining B-sides and other types of things uh, to be a part of it. And also understanding that not all roles in cyber are technical. There's business roles. There's, you mentioned compliance. There's lots of other types of aspects of the job that I think uh, people with a diverse background uh, should really encourage them to dig in and reach out to companies like yours and mine and others to try to get in because there is such a, an opportunity there. So in terms of your journey as a CISO, who was your biggest influence uh, in becoming a CISO and why did they have such a big impact on uh, your uh, role as a CISO? Yeah. So during my time in audit, um, I got to meet a number of different CISOs at earlier stage tech companies. And one of them was Doug Graham, who was the CISO of Mosey at the time. Um, and we were doing their audits. Uh, they got acquired by EMC, and he gave me a call and he said, "Brian, I've got this, you know, position, this opportunity for you. I'd like you to be a business security manager." And this was in 2011. Doug was very, very forward thinking, and the role was aligning the business at EMC in these various groups to the security team, right? And EMC, very big company, right? At the time before they were acquired. I was you know, there during that time. I know some of those people, we won't do name dropping, but yeah. Yep, yep. People on the EMC side of that Mosey uh, transaction. So really interesting online backup technology. Yep, really cool stuff. That was my first security job. And it was a security job that sort of ironically looking back now was, was business focused and about business alignment. You know, he's been a great mentor for me in my career. I always said, Doug, I want to be a CISO. And I was able to work and achieve to that goal a number of years later. 
but he gave me that opportunity and I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, that's awesome. And it was an interesting transaction for EMC. For those that don't know who EMC was, at one point, they were the largest employer in the state of Massachusetts, a very successful company in the 90s and 2000s. Uh, But it was a very enterprise B2B company. And then they acquired this consumer or prosumer type product. And it was an interesting uh, journey. But we'll save that for another podcast, uh, because lots of trials and tribulations through that one. But uh, it's really interesting in terms of uh, how you got started on your journey in cybersecurity. So when you think about the listeners, um, and we've hit on this a little bit, but you know, why should somebody think about a career in cybersecurity? It's really challenging and it's really interesting. So the things that I do and that my team does over the course of a day, it varies widely. It might be more on the business side, whether I'm looking at a contract and making sure that we're protected from a security perspective. I might be working with our sales team. It might be working on something that is very controls focused related to an audit. It might be something very technical in security, whether that's a security incident or a threat that we have. So there's all different types of challenges that that makes it really exciting. And as part of that, you're getting really broad exposure to the business. There's very few roles in an organization, whether it's a large or small, where you can get that kind of exposure to different stakeholders, primarily at more senior levels. So that really gives you, you a breadth of experience in a business. And the pay. The opportunity to make money in this field continues to grow. There's a staffing shortage. There's been a staffing shortage of qualified cybersecurity professionals for a number of years. So it's an opportunity to build wealth for yourself, for your family. And uh, those are some of the reasons that you can join. I totally agree. And I think the latter one, uh, sometimes we kind of say it in such a way that we're almost embarrassed about it. I feel that way sometimes, but I I think it's just the facts that these are really great paying jobs. And even entry-level positions within cybersecurity pay really well. And if, again, we talked about the uh, person that's really wants to learn, wants to drive and learn more, the opportunity for advancements can happen really quickly. So uh, starting at a decent paying job and then getting something up to six figures is very realistic in a field like this. I think about it as equal as the other part of it is like, if you're looking for that challenging, dynamic work environment, this is it. And uh, it's constantly evolving. The attackers are coming up with new things. There's new vendors like us trying to work with companies and talk about new solutions. And the boards and the business have different needs that change, maybe go from a, a enterprise uh, focus to a consumer focus. And what impact does that have on the website and the security best practices that are all placed there? So for people that are thinking about joining, you know, it's just a, such a, just a fun and energized and dynamic place that you can be constantly challenged. And like you, we've been doing it for a long time now that it constantly evolves. You constantly get to learn new stuff. And I think that's what makes it so exciting and why I think everybody, my daughters always get tired because every time I talk to young kids, I'm like, uh, either become a data scientist or get into cybersecurity. And data scientists are the other ones, right? Which you you guys yeah. deal quite a bit with that. You know, it's another one of those not enough people, and uh, you know, sky's the limit on where those things are going to go. So, I guess the final question, Brian, and I really enjoyed our conversation very much. What advice can you give somebody, and how do they get started? Like, they don't have a network. They've gotten interested from this podcast. Have listened to a couple of. Uh, YouTube videos, but like, where does somebody begin to start their journey? There's lots of different paths and there's different ways. One easy one is there's a number of meetups that are out there. 
in different locations or around the country, around the world. So look for a security meetup, look for a compliance meetup and go you know, find people and join there. And that's a really easy way to start a network. If you're in a current career path and you want to transition into security, there's lots of ways that are sort of related to transition. So one example is I've seen a lot of people that have been in IT help desk role transition into security. And there's some related responsibilities often come with building and managing those endpoints. That's a good way to do it. Other ways might be when you're working with folks within, say, an organization or a role, you're very often working with security or compliance. So if there's an internal transfer path that's maybe outside of a technical role, to the point of our conversation earlier, Gene, it's what I'm really excited about is people that want to work hard, that are motivated, that are passionate about what they're doing. And that can apply across lots of different skill sets. So those are some of the ways that I think people can get, get started on this path. Well said. And I think those are things we can't teach people. You can't teach energy. You can't teach desire to learn. You can't teach willing to be in the uncomfortable, but uh, having a great attitude through it. Those are the things that I know you and I as leaders, when we have those types of people, we want to pour more and more responsibility on. We want to see them move up within our organizations. If they're going to leave, help them move up in terms of their whole career. Uh, So I think that's a great point. And the meetups, we've talked about that before, Brian, on the podcast, just really encourage people. And some people listen to podcasts might be very introverted. You'll be surprised at some of these meetups uh, when you get to the cybersecurity side of things. Uh, There's lots of like-minded people that are also introverted, uh, but are getting out there because they're finding a network of people that uh, are like them, that have uh, similar... uh, social skills, but also are more than willing to help others kind of learn about this career and and make those connections. So if you put yourself out there, I think you'll find that there's plenty of people in spades that are willing to give their time and energy to try to help you get into this career and then be successful once you're over here. Great. Well, thank you very much, Brian. That's all we have for today. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Brian, for joining us and sharing your journey and thoughts on a career in cybersecurity. Please join us next time for another episode of the Executive Security Podcast. Thanks a lot and have a great day.